Hey, everybody, this is your Felony Friday host, John Odermatt, coming at you real quick before we kick off today's show. I want to talk to everybody out there, new listeners, old listeners, the whole spectrum. If you like this show, if you like what we're doing and you want to support us, I want you to consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride, and I want to tell you why now is the best time to do it. So we have a special going on right now. Um, If you sign up, so with Patreon now, we... Uh, have a uh, a way where you can sign up for a year in advance. And by doing that, you sign up for the Lions of Liberty Pride by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And you do the whole year, you're going to get two months free. And if you do that for, uh, we have different levels, right? From $5 up to, to $50 and actually up from there. But um, if you sign up for $15 a month or more, we're going to send you a free Lions of Liberty beanie from our Lions of Liberty store. So you sign up at $15 or a month or greater, um, you're going to get the beanie, you're going to get two free months, you're going to get all of our bonus content. Degenerate Gamblers is a show we have every single week, especially this time of year during football season, betting season. Um, and we have Conspiracy Corner, an awesome show. Um, I am never on Conspiracy Corner, but I, it's one of my favorite. I'm not, even, I'm not even just saying this. I mean, I really, I really mean this. Conspiracy Corner is one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. It's going to be Mark and Howie and Rico and JB, and they do a fantastic job digging into all kinds of different conspiracies. But you can't hear it unless you're in the Lions of Liberty pride. So go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Let's get rolling into today's show. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. All right, here we go. A little something different this week. Uh, we got a, a Felony Friday live on a Thursday. So uh, streaming on Facebook and on YouTube. So catch it either place. And I am joined here today by Matthew Erickson. Uh, you probably recognize Matthew, uh, or maybe you'll recognize his voice once you hear it. He's a co-host on Wealth, Power, and Influence with Jason Stapleton. He's been on with uh, Mark Claire before on our Monday show, so you've probably heard him there. And I wanted to bring Matt on today to talk about this election, to talk about the fraud in this election, the lawsuits that are going around. Um, you know, one thing that jumped out to me over the past several days you know, it feels like it's been two or three weeks since we had this election, but it's really only been a little bit past a week. And Matt's done a great job of, you know, really giving some good insights on uh, on Facebook with his different posts and a lot of great resources. And yeah, I think it was yesterday's show on Wealth, Power, and Influence when you were talking, getting in depth on uh, on some of these uh, goings on with the election. So, uh, Matt, welcome to Felony Friday. Thanks, man. It's good to be here. This is a I enjoy your guys' show, and you guys do a good job. So. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. And we were just talking pre-show. You know, there's so much going on right now. It's almost hard to know where to start. It's almost hard to, you, you, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something and not talk <laughs> about something that like right now has just become like the most uh, important thing. But you know what? We got to try to do our best and uh, try to provide some insight here and, uh, and talk about it because honestly, what happens here in the next month or so, or however long this takes, is going to shape this country in a way. Um, you know, it's not it's not do or die. Uh, I think we'll both adapt no, no matter what happens. But uh, it's important for people to uh, to learn about what the heck's going on. So before we get into 
talking about the fraud and and everything else. I'm curious, you know, I know that you follow because uh, you talk about Scott Adams sometimes, mention him on the show. Um, so I, I'm thinking you might have a similar take to me, but leading up to this election, what like what was your thought on the polls? Your thought on Trump's chances? Like, what did you think was going to happen? I was leading up to it. I was I've been saying for months, even I think it was even back in in 2019. I was saying that I think I think Trump's going to win in a landslide. He's he's going to win very comfortably. His support throughout the country is is being wildly suppressed by the media. The polls aren't accurate. They weren't accurate in 2016, and they didn't get any better because uh, the 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 goal with the polls isn't to actually. Um, you know, ad- accurately report the sentiment of people. The, the polls are not reflecting the public sentiment. The polls are there to coach public sentiment because they're they're there for the sake of conditioning and uh, using kind of like like peer pressure to teach people what to believe. And it's it. There's I was having a similar conversation with some the other day about this. That it's they said something about like well you know if the um, these different companies that are, are um, you know, they're like the tech companies and stuff. If they're, you know, censoring and all this kind of stuff, it's their incentive isn't necessarily there because they're not going to be as profitable. And same with these media organizations. If they're, if they start losing viewership, they're not going to be as profitable. And, and I said that that's, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of why they exist. These organizations, even all of Hollywood, they don't exist to be profitable. If they weren't profitable, they would just, uh, you know, somehow redirect um, some type of subsidy or something into them, or um, if a specific organization stops being profitable at any point, they can just dissolve it and create a new one. Um, the The purpose of these organizations is to coach public sentiment and to to I don't want to use the word brainwash just because it's such a a, a, a charged term, but that's what it is. It's probably the right word to use. Honestly. Right? Yeah. They, they're the the vast majority of people are not um, independent think- thinkers. People are not really capable of, of free will. We don't have this human beings don't have um, nearly the control over their own beliefs that they think they do. Um, one thing that you learn in, in sales and marketing is that, is that the worst thing you can do if you're trying to convince someone to buy something is to give them a bunch of factual reasons why your product is the best. Uh, because that's not how people make decisions. People make decisions emotionally and then they justify them after the fact they justify them rationally. And at the same time, people are also very much humans are, are, are social creatures that, that exist as a collective. They exist as kind of a hive mind and people don't like going against the flow. They want to, to go along with the people who are around them. They want to believe what people around them believe. Uh, so the, the role of the media and, and when I say the media, I mean, the actual, like the corporate press, I mean, the major tech organizations, and I mean, Hollywood, all of these things I would all wrap into the media and their job, their responsibility is to condition what people think. And if you don't believe that, just consider their concern about misinformation. The fact that they're so concerned about, so like in big tech, they're like, well, we need to have fact checkers and we need to suppress you know, misinformation. And the fact that media will say, the, 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 the corporate press will be like, well, we don't want to report on these things because it's, uh, it's misinformation. And that in and of itself means that they don't believe the people who are listening to them are capable of thinking through these things themselves. They recognize that their responsibility is to, to teach people what to believe. Their responsibility is to, is to present the accurate facts for the, so that people are coached in what they believe. So the polls 
are exactly the same way. The polls are just another tool that they use for that. And I think that most of the people who are involved in it aren't necessarily, they're not necessarily thinking of it like really insidiously like that. Like we need to be deceptive with the polls. What they're doing is they're sampling people in a certain way and they're asking questions in a certain way that coaches responses out of people. So they won't ask them just an open-ended, just kind of impartial question. They'll ask loaded questions and then they'll ask, um, they'll, they'll, they'll try to sample people in a certain way that they end up oversampling uh, Democrats. And I think the reason that they do that is because they the way they see the world is that uh, Republicans or right-wingers or conservatives or whatever you want to say, they see them as a, as a uh, distinct minority, as a fringe group that has um, all of the bad ideas. So they, um, by default, implicitly don't want to sample those people as much because they feel like these are these this these people are not representative of the public because the these people who are born in the uh, on the coasts they come up through liberal universities they're part of the basically part of the ruling elite they're uh, they they're part of this thing that that Mitch's Moldbug calls the cathedral and this is a term that's been kind of getting out into the popular sentiment lately. Um, Mentors Moldbug was the same guy who came up, who first coined the, the term, the red pill, borrowed it from the matrix to use as a, uh, uh, as a political um, uh, analogy kind of. Right. And so he coined this idea of the, of the cathedral, which is a, it, it's, it's the, the premier um, thought coaching uh institution or apparatus that we have in, in, in the, in the United States and kind of by default, the rest of the world, because it's, it, it operates very much like a cathedral did where you have um, people who come and they train in the specific set of beliefs and they learn they're, they're um, inculcated with these beliefs. And then they're, they see it as their responsibility to go out and teach other people to believe these same things. They have their, their specific belief system and everything. And it starts in the universities. So all of these people who are doing these polls, just like all these journalists, they all came through, the universities they came through the um the these these coaching centers for the ruling elite and they've been indoctrinated into what the ruling elite believe and so for them these aren't they don't have a specific belief system from their perspective they just believe the facts they just believe what all smart people believe you know it just so happens that all the people around them who are smart all believe the same thing so how could it possibly be not true so for them, then, it's their responsibility to ensure that they're, with the polling that they're doing, you don't want to be sampling fringe radical people because those people aren't representative of uh, of the actual truth. You want to be making sure that you're getting an accurate sampling of the population. So you want to make sure that, um, you know, Democrat is kind of by default right, and then occasionally the Democrat Party gets it wrong. And it's important that, you know, not that we don't have um, everyone believing all the same thing, kind of. It's good to have other perspectives. So that's why you need to dabble into the, the independents and the Republicans a little bit, but you need to predominantly um, sample the Democrats. So I just, I, I having seen this phenomenon, having seen some of the questions that they were asking, and then just kind of like my gut, like it just something is not right about this this narrative that they're presenting and and uh, I, it, it's so at odds with i guess to use one of their terms with lived experience the the majority of people have this lived experience that just doesn't quite accord with the the media narrative so given all these different um elements here i i knew coming into it like scott adams says a slaughter meter he says the slaughter meter is at 100 percent it's interesting, just a little bit ago, he said that the slaughter meter is currently at 95%, he which is really? interesting because he said 60% uh, three or four days ago. Yeah, well, we'll get into some of the reasons why why he might be saying that 
And you know, it's, it's interesting. I want to touch on so talking about the, the cathedral and you know, you have Donald Trump, who is the the anti-cathedral character, sort of goes against everything that they're indoctrinating with. And that's not to say that Donald Trump is some sort of, you know, amazing character comparative to Jesus, and which some people on, on the right do. Um, he certainly has his flaws, and he's, you know, he's not a, uh, I wouldn't call Donald Trump a pro-liberty candidate in, in any way whatsoever, but he is a, a populist candidate in a way that is a an, anti, um, you know, establishment candidate, obviously, which that's where his appeal comes from. So kind of when you, when you talk about uh, the elites and you talk about people in the media who, uh, you know, the way that they are running these pol- polls, the way that they are uh, presenting the news, they're not doing it. I, I agree with you. I don't think they are intentionally nefarious people that they think that they are um, you know, doing something to try to harm. I think they're doing it uh, the, the way that they're conducting their life, the way they're communicating. I think that they believe they're doing the right thing because everyone around them is is saying you're doing the right thing. We're all doing the right thing. We're we're all you know we're all helping humanity. And to see Donald Trump sort of come in and take uh, center stage and start to guide the population away from from what they're saying, um, he gets labeled as Hitler, literally Hitler. Um, dangerous, going to start a nuclear war, four years in office. None of that happened. But kind of the next the next question, we're going to want to take this to, a lot of people will say there, there couldn't be election fraud. Uh, you know, people wouldn't take that risk. No one's going to risk going to prison uh, for election fraud. It's 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 just it's not worth it. The the, the cost benefit analysis isn't there. So uh, what, what would you say to that? I think that it's uh, it depends on which which party you're making you're doing the election fraud on behalf of, because I think anybody knows that I mean obviously in every in every election there's election fraud to some extent it's just it's it's when you're dealing with three hundred and twenty three hundred thirty million people it's just not possible to not have any fraud whatsoever, but I think there's there's multiple reasons why you wouldn't have election fraud nearly to the same extent from Republicans and not because I have any particular sympathy for the Republicans over the Democrats. I, in general, I think I see the Democrats as genuinely evil and threatening. And I see the Republicans as mostly incompetent and bumbling. And so that's kind of my, I I don't, I don't care about the Republicans as much just because I see them as far less of a threat and more incompetent. But I think that they know that if they were to be caught, they are going to get zero coverage from the media. And I mean, by coverage, I mean, they're going to get zero, like the media is not going to cover their ass. If a Republican gets caught tampering with votes or engaging in some type of election fraud, he's going to get crucified. Everyone in the country is going to know his name and he's going to be held up as an example of, you know, all the, these radical right-wingers who are destroying our democracy and yada, yada, yada. On the other hand, if you are a Democrat who believes that Trump is literally Hitler. You not only have incentive to commit election fraud, I think that you would have an obligation to commit election fraud. You need to do whatever whatever is necessary to get literally Hitler out of office. And if you don't, then you must not believe he's literally Hitler. So then you've now you're entering into this this period of cognitive dissonance where you're not. Uh, where your words and your actions are not are not uh, 
where they're discordant and people don't like existing in a, in a state of cognitive dissonance. So I think that these people would definitely have the means and I mean, they'd have the means by having the access and they'd have the motive. And I think that if that they, they would feel obligated to commit election fraud, but then to your question, they're going to know maybe in some cases explicitly that they're going to have a media that will run cover for them because the media also believes that Trump is literally Hitler. The media has waged an all out war for four or five years now trying to get him on every front. And the stakes of this election couldn't be higher from their perspective to have, they have to know that the psychological impact of Trump, like Trump being elected in 2016 was one thing like that was okay. Maybe that's the, that's the exception that proves the rule. You know, it's just, it was a a black swan event. Just, it was disgruntled people who were just like, ah, screw the system. We're going to get rid of him. But now they've just spent the last four years seeing just how unhinged and just, and you know, deranged he is and how destructive he's been. So, you know, all those people who, who voted for him before, they're going to realize how bad he was. And they're, you know, they're not going to vote for him a second time. So when you're coming from that mindset, if he was to be voted in a second time, that is going to completely destroy a lot of people's understanding of reality. It, like, it's going to completely shatter their belief system. And they're going to have to build it back up from the ground up because suddenly they're going to have for a lot of them. They'd be terrified because they'd be like, ah, oh, I'm surrounded by, by crazy people even more than they thought they were, but they're not going to, they're going to see the world very, very differently. And by, by realizing suddenly that this guy is a lot more popular than I thought he was. And he must be a lot less crazy than I thought he was because of how many people seem to like him. Right. So, the, I, I think that the the people who would have been in the position to commit election fraud would have either would have either thought it's worth it, even if I do go to prison, at least I'll have gotten literally Hitler out of office, and or they would have thought, you know what, the media will probably cover for me. They'll give me the cover that I need to to um you know ensure that it's not caught, you know. You know, and then that you can see that the media has been trying to do that essentially. Like the media has gone into full, um, full scale conditioning mode from the jump. And, and the most unique aspect of it is that Fox News has joined in. Fox has never been, I've always found it funny that, that people have talked about Fox as being like this crazy right wing network. That, and it's like the most milk toast, generic, bland, boomer con content ever, um, with the exception occasionally of Tucker Carlson. But otherwise, it's just so generic and, and bland. There's nothing radical or anything about it. But it has at least given the impression of an alternative perspective. It gives the appearance of two sides. And, and then it's also they've been willing to give a platform to Trump that other networks won't. So the effect of them suddenly flipping the script and being the first network for a long time to call Arizona for Biden and to take forever to call these other, um, you know, uh, either House races or Senate races or um, or states for Trump, even when it's when it's abundantly clear that that Alaska. he's already won it, like yeah, Alaska, Alaska. Yeah, that was, that was ridiculous. It wasn't even close. It was nowhere. It was never remotely in question. But they took a week to call it. And uh, what was the? There was uh, like North Carolina was was kind of sort of close. But you see them calling stuff for for Biden that was much closer. And in in past election years, you'd see plenty of times where he'd be like, "Wow, it's crazy that they can call that state for that uh, for that candidate." You know, they've got 
you know, forty three percent of the vote in, and they've only got a you know a million vote lead. Like that's that's kind of narrow. It seems like a lot more could come in, but it's just because they know the regions that are left to be sampled and everything. Um, and it would like they would never get it wrong. So here suddenly there's like you know ninety eight percent of the vote is in, and Trump has a five hundred thousand vote lead, and you know, in a city with a population of, of 2.5 million or something like that, where, you know, it's like, there's no way that it's like probably not even mathematically possible, but they won't call it. And the reason is this is, this again reveals with their own psychology. The reason they won't call it is because they understand that they are framing people's reality. They are responsible for framing the reality that people operate within. And they've created this scenario where the vast majority of people are like, even Fox isn't calling any of this on behalf of Trump. Even, he's lost even Fox. That's how far gone he is. Fox, that crazy radical right-wing network, even they've abandoned Trump. So he must be completely out to lunch. He must be done and dusted. It's all over. Don't worry about it. That's not an accident. It's nowhere close to an accident that that would have happened just suddenly in the last couple of weeks leading up to the election and then during the election. And they've been... They've they've dug their heels in on some of the most bizarre things, just refusing to. They're like, nope, nope, nope. This is just how it is. And uh, so, so yeah. So they they you can you could see from early on that something was up. There wasn't the media was starting to act weird, and they were not even more than normal. They weren't just just reporting facts or just reporting passing on details they were very clearly um, managing a narrative a very carefully constructed narrative um and that was before the, the the great pause and then of course everything everything hit the fan after the pause yeah so to talk about that pause to frame it up so you're watching the returns and i mean you're on the west coast so maybe i guess time-wise maybe you're up a little later than me maybe not you have the you have the baby but uh, or maybe you were up with, with the, <laughs> watching it. But you know, I, I went to bed on uh, on Tuesday night, and it looked. I'm looking at you know, I, I kept looking at the betting site, at, you know, predict it to see what the odds were, because that generally gives you a better idea than anything else. And Trump Trump's odds skyrocketed skyrocketed up to win past Biden's. You know, we're, I'm looking at states. I'm looking at. He looked like he was going to win Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. He was way up. Looked like he was going to win Georgia. I'm, I'm thinking it's in the bag for Trump. And I go to sleep, I don't know, 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the morning, East Coast time. Wake up, and it's a totally different landscape. So talk about your, your own experience with that. And when you first started to question, something's not right here. Something something is uh, is going on. It was basically... So I ended up staying up like way too late. I so with with the baby, I get up at three forty five every morning because Amy stays up until three forty five with him. Um, she usually will get some sleep in that time, like sitting in her in her chair with him, sleeping on her chest. But um, so she stays up till three forty five. I get up at three forty five, and then I hang out with him, and all that's when I'll catch up on some of my podcasts or whatever while I'm sitting there with him. Uh, so that so election night, I went to bed at like twelve fifteen or something like that. I got like three hours of sleep. I was exhausted, but I was sitting there watching and I was, I, I knew going into it that there was going to be funny business. And that was, I didn't necessarily have clear evidence for that. It was more just kind of an intuition because I knew coming into it that Trump was going to win. Um, or at least that Trump was going to, to be in the lead by quite a bit, um, that his, his support was going to be much more than anybody anticipated. And, because of that, it was going to send people into um, 
some, I, I, I anticipated that something, some funny business was going to happen. I had no idea they were going to take it as far as they did. So where it first started kind of seeming a little funky to me was when that pause happened. All of a sudden we got reports that, um, first there was a report that Georgia had this pipe that had burst. Right, right. And so they had to pause. But then uh, to my knowledge, I think that that didn't happen then it had happened in the morning. It happened like nine o'clock that morning. Well, now, now it's come out that there was no pipe that burst. There was just like right, a leak, yeah. a leak yeah. in the pipe or something. Yeah. So it was more just kind of, it, it was just like, okay, well, all of this is happening and suddenly there's a pipe that burst and they have to pause. And I'm like, of course they do. Of course that's what happened. And then suddenly Pennsylvania has to pause as well. And then, and, and while this was happening, so like you said, the, 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 the odds had flipped. So I think going into it, Trump was like, like, he had like like 33% or something like that. And suddenly around the time that it was announced that he was that he'd won Florida, and it was that it was fascinating the way he'd won Florida because um he 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 picked up like 15 points or something like that in Miami Dade. He was like way, way ahead of where he had been, and he had um a lot of Hispanic support, which wasn't totally surprising in Florida because it's a uh um, there's a lot of Cubans there and Cubans right, tend right. to be pretty conservative. Um, but then the numbers were coming in for Texas and a lot of the border counties in Texas that were heavily Hispanic were going for him heavily as well. So that was kind of the first clue that that the demographic breakdown of this election was going to be different than ones in the past. And you started seeing the momentum kind of pick up. And so I, I spent a lot of time on Twitter. I spent the majority of my time um, on social media on Twitter. And I've been on there for probably 12 years now, something like that. So I've really watched it grow and develop over the last period of time. And I've realized being on there that Twitter runs the news cycle. Everything that happens, happens on Twitter first, and then it follows and goes everywhere else. So so if a reporter is out covering a story, they'll tweet about it. And then they'll go sit down and they'll write their article. They'll post their article. It'll be talked about on TV. And a couple of days later, it'll make it to Facebook. That's kind of been the, the pattern of um, social media. And I realized that, that other people recognize this as well. And they were starting to manipulate what happened on Twitter uh, for the sake of, of uh, creating news events, for creating news cycles and and they would like like planting stories and making sure that they come up through um that they're they're kind of coached and massaged through the the that process so you might get something like uh you'll have uh, uh, like a major company will have some person that runs their twitter account and the people who run their twitter accounts are like as a rule they're someone who went to an elite university in a, a super blue city and they're you, you know maybe they're just this side of mao in terms of their own political beliefs and these are the people who run a lot of these these major social media accounts. So yeah. what they'll do is either they'll tweet something gener- and then generate a whole bunch of responses, or you'll even get something where p- people call it astroturfing, which is where you give the impression of a grassroots campaign happening, but it's really being, it's people creating like sock puppet accounts, which is fake accounts, and then and then forcing something to trend by getting a whole bunch of people talking about it. And then once it's trending, then they'll have a major corporate account weigh in on it. And that that gives it like some credibility, like, oh, this is an actual story. And then a lot of these people who are running these Twitter accounts are friends with or in contact with the journalists and the reporters who are writing for all these major papers. So you get a story that starts on Twitter that, that was manufactured. It was just artificially planted and, and people using fake accounts got it going. 
and then you have a major corporate account engage with this trending subject and then you have the journalist report on it and talk about it and then they they present this as this is what the country is talking about so they're acting like they're sampling the country when really they're just sampling a very small select group of people on twitter um so you'll see this sometimes when you'll get like uh you'll read a news article that'll say you know maybe like some politician is responding to accusations of something or whatever it's like completely off the wall stuff right. and you'll go read the article and as you're scrolling down you'll see that the people they're referring to who were accusing them it was like three Twitter accounts that have 27 followers combined and they have an egg avatar. But it's, so it's like they went and they sampled who knows who maybe it was even the reporter himself who tweeted these. Right. And, but they'll, they'll, they'll use this to, to create a news cycle, to create a subject and to get the subject in the news and get people talking about it. So um, what was the question that you'd asked? What, what got me started on that? <laughs> Oh, oh, I remember. I remember. Um, it was the it was the um, talking about how I was watching everything unfold. Yeah, how you were watching. watching. So yeah, what? Uh, like yeah, maybe let's change the question a little bit. So, when was the first time you suspected you know actual election fraud, or maybe you saw a story of election fraud? So it would have been as soon as things started flipping. It didn't smell right to me because um, that was why I was going into Twitter. It was because I followed. I was following everything on Twitter, and so. When you're on there long enough, you you get following the right people and you can kind of just sense the trends of what's happening, how people are talking and, and how the news cycle is kind of building and developing. And it was obvious that Trump was going to win. Like there was no question about it that the way people were talking about it, the, the general sentiment, the way that topics were coming up, all of that. As someone who's been on there for a long time, it was obvious that that's what it was building up to. And I was realizing that, and then I saw the odds had flipped. And the odds went all the way up to like 80% yeah. in favor of Trump. And that's there's a lot of smart money in there. Those people aren't going to get something wrong like, oh, there was all the mail-in ballots left, and the mail-in ballots are going to skew heavily Democrat, and so that's why the results changed. Like, that's how they tried to pass it off. Yeah, they've, but they've all done of that, the math. They've, they've thought about that. Right, they've looked exactly. at numbers. Exactly. They, so they're, they're not going to make a mistake like that. So as soon as that happened, that's when I was like, okay, he's for sure going to win. Like it was a little gratifying to me because I'd like, I'd really been emphatic that he was going to win. So now I was seeing it happen. I'm like, okay, cool. Then the pause happened. And immediately I was like, this isn't normal. This isn't right. Then you get this report about the, the, the pipe break breaking. And then you see all these different States are all pausing and they're all the swing States. They're the most highly contested um, areas. And then they said, well, we're not going to count anymore until tomorrow. But then they were still counting. Like there was reports that they were still counting, even though they said everyone was going to go home. I, it was either Georgia or Pennsylvania. They said that um, oh, all of our all of our counters are tired, so they're going to go home at nine o'clock and get some sleep and come back in the morning and start again at nine. But then they kept counting. So I went to bed at twelve fifteen, twelve thirty, got up at three forty five, and they had that big dump that happened in the middle of the night. So there was a big dump that came at four o'clock, I think, Eastern time. So that was like right after I'd gone to sleep. You're so I went, that was in in uh, Michigan. Is that the dump? There was, I think it was Wisconsin. Okay, yeah. Wisconsin. I think there was there was a few dumps in a few different places. There was a big, um, there was the one uh, like image that people have have that's been going around is the one where you have the, uh, you have the like the the the, the vote total going up like curving up. And then Trump's Trump's is curving up and Biden's is underneath it. And then Biden just goes in a straight line up and then is, and then continues the same trajectory. Um, but now ahead of Trump. Um, 
Well, as soon as I woke the, up, the Benford—that's the the Benford curve, right? That it doesn't—it's it's violating uh, right statistical law. Right, right. So when I woke up, I saw that, and I saw that there was this report. Now the report ended up being wrong. That there was, um, it was a specific region that it was—I don't remember the exact number, but it was in the vicinity of between 130 and 150 thousand votes that went. Um, 100% for Biden. I think that turned out to be wrong. That was a that was a, a data entry error, and that one actually seemed like that was a legitimate mistake because it just so happened that it went the same direction as all the other mistakes. But it was um, someone was supposed to it was supposed to enter like um, someone added an extra zero on the end of something. So instead of it being fifteen thousand, it was one hundred and fifty thousand, or it was something like that, um, and it seemed like a genuine mistake. But even even still, in spite of that, that whole set of circumstances, like polling being way off, Trump way overperforming what everyone expected, and not only overperforming what everyone expected, but overperforming with all of the demographics except for white males. White male is the only demographic that he that he lost numbers on. In every other demographic category, he gained numbers. So all of that happening, and then everything freezes. But it just freezes in just the swing states. And then they're like, oh, it's going to take us a really long time to count them. And then all of a sudden there's this big, big dumps that are like suddenly overwhelming Biden. And now Biden's clearly, clearly climbing. And then they're starting. And then Fox News is not calling things for Arizona or is calling um, Arizona for Biden, but is refusing to call Texas or North Carolina for Trump. And then and all of those things all happening within the space of a couple of hours. That's when I knew that something that I was like. I need to start reconsidering the possibility that there's actually a full scale attempt at voter fraud here. And before the, like a day or two before the election, I'd watched a clip of a guy named general McInerney. He's a, a, I think he's a retired air force general and he referenced a specific software program. Now, I don't know if we, are you okay with me saying the names of it? I don't know if it'll get the channel taken down let's let's not let's not okay say it then. yeah so um so we'll call it uh it, it's it's one of the words i'm sure people have probably seen it but one of the words is a, a ball peen tool you have a tool it's a ball peen tool it's that word and then the other one is like if you were um if you were uh, watching a baseball game and you wanted to track everything that was happening you would write everything down on a two-syllable word right. so it's those those two words together um and what this what this general had said was that this software has existed for a while now, and it's used to change election results. And he said that the Democrats have used it in the past. The Democrats used it in the Iowa primaries when they hosed Bernie Sanders, and that has been used in past elections going back a number of election cycles. Now, when I heard that, I was like, I bought, I totally buy that something like that exists. And this this was when did he say this? This was a day or two before the election. Okay. And and he said that this is going to be used in this election. That was one of the things he said. And I think I think I'd heard. I think he was talking to Alex Jones. I think that's where I'd heard it. Um, someone was just tweeting about it, and I saw the clip, and I went and watched it, and I sent it to a few different people at the time, and I said, "Check this out." But I told them, I said, even to me, like I'm I, I'm willing to believe quite a few things, but that's that's kind of a bridge too far for me. I just I, I don't buy that they would go that far. That that just seems. It seems too obvious. It seems too like they're 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 crossing a Rubicon that isn't really necessary. It just seemed like it seemed like too much. Um, but he said they're going to use it and they're going to use it to steal this election. Once all of this started happening and there was this these big vote dumps that were 100% Biden, 
and they're trying to pass it off as though it's just the mail-in ballots are just more <clears throat> overwhelmingly Democrat. Um, I was like, no, that's, that's not right. There's something that's not right here. And that's when I had a feeling that there was going to be some type of voter fraud. But even then I had no idea. I, I, I would not have estimated that it would be as dramatic as it has been. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out uh, my man, Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards freeing Ross Ulbricht. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes and they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide. New slave play, but they barely pay you. Don't care about work ethic or major. So, so the current state of the race, just kind of set the table here. Wisconsin's going for a, a hand recount, correct? Georgia is going for a hand recount. Pennsylvania, I don't think, has said they're going to do a hand recount, but currently... Um, Trump actually, I think, won a lawsuit today in Pennsylvania uh, that, let me see if I get this right. I don't have it in front of me. Um, It's not the lawsuit having to do with the ballots coming in after November 3rd being counted, but it's the ones having to do with, uh, is it the signature not being verified? I don't know there's some there's so many lawsuits, but anyway, yeah. it, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of a lot of votes. So you know, people would say it's not many votes. It's not going to matter. Biden's up by you know more than fifty thousand votes, I think, in uh, in Pennsylvania. So Pennsylvania has not declared a uh, a recount yet. The but the other thing in Pennsylvania that would be big, which I've heard it's only ten thousand ballots, which I don't really believe it, would be the the uh, the late mail-in ballots that were po- that supposedly were postmarked. Um, on November third or earlier, that would be counted coming in uh, three or days, three days or less after the third of November. So Pennsylvania's up in the air. What's gonna What's gonna happen? I would assume Arizona, being how tight it is right now, Trump could take the lead. Biden could hold the lead. I think regardless, that's gonna have to go to a recount. Um, Michigan, where does Michigan stand? What, what are- Michigan is uh, there was just either, I think the legislature in Michigan. Let me double check. It, it, it's very hard to keep track of all these things now. Mm-hmm. There's been so many details and everything's been happening so fast. But I think the legislature requested a recount. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I, I think there's going to be a recount. They either requested a recount or announced that there's going to be an independent recount or something like that in Michigan. So historically in recounts, things only flip by hundred or so votes, something like that. So um, I think people looking back at history and then looking at this election, you think there's there's no way this is going to flip. They're going to do a hand recount, maybe 100, Trump gets 500 more votes, something like that. Um, so why, why do you think that this would be different? Or does it even need to flip in order for Trump to, to ultimately win the election? So that's that right there would be what I would say first is that um, I think a lot of people are focusing on this as a that the way that Trump would win would just be if he was able to cast so many 
um, was to prove that so many ballots were fraudulent that he actually flipped the 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 vote count in like all of these different states. Mm-hmm. So first of all, it doesn't need to be a lot of states. Like I think at this point, because he has North Carolina and Alaska, if I remember right, that puts him at I think 232 electoral votes. And then it looks like he's most likely going to get Arizona because of the trajectory of the number of votes that are left to count there and the the rate at which Biden's lead is falling. It's down around 12,000 or a little under 12,000, I think at this point. Uh, so that one is is... If he was to get Arizona, then I think that's 11 electoral votes. And if I remember right, that takes it to like 243. So then he would just need Pennsylvania and one other state. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, so to begin with, he doesn't need that many states just to win in terms of, of, of the electoral vote. But he also doesn't need to actually win these states necessarily because the electoral votes are not dependent on the popular vote within that state. They generally are. But the states, um, the the party within the state is responsible for sending electors. And those electors in most of the states, they have the ability to be what's called faithless electors, where they say, for whatever reason, we're not going to vote um, according to what the popular vote in the state was. We're going to vote for you know whoever whoever we want, and it's, it's the the party will basically figure that out. What it, whoever it's going to be, but, but but isn't it the isn't it the party who wins the popular vote that gets to send the electors? It's the party that is that I, I believe it's the party that controls the legislature. Really? Yeah, that that's my understanding at least. I could be wrong, but um, either way, it's the the there's the ability to send faithless electors that that stands out there. Um, as, as a possibility. So he doesn't necessarily have to just win. Um, like that's not the only route is just flipping the popular vote in these states. That's not, that's not his only route. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think that that's totally on the table because of the extent to which uh, the fraud, the, the, the extent to which the fraud, this fraud has been perpetrated here. And I know that that's kind of jarring for a lot of people. Uh, Jason and I went back and forth about this on the show yesterday and, and and Jason still finds it kind of hard to believe that that's going to happen, but I think that having been someone who has has been what I call extremely online for for a while here and spending so much time on Twitter and just kind of it's just a completely different world that if you're not a part of it you can't it's hard to believe that it exists. But I've seen this pattern now where what happens on Twitter predicts what's going to happen elsewhere, and the way that I'm seeing things happening there, this, this was voter fraud on an unprecedented level. And, and it makes sense because like I was saying before, you have that, that combination of factors where they have the incentive because they see him as literally Hitler. And they also have the cover knowing that the media will cover for them. But then just thinking about the scale of the, or not the scale, but the, the, the significance of this election. So a lot of people, especially in libertarian circles tend to have this opinion where they're like, Oh, there's no difference. You know, who cares? It's kind of just the both parties are about the same. And, and, you know, things are going to be just kind of tweaking around the margins, depending on which party is in there. And in a lot of cases, that's been, that's been true. And especially at the local level, a lot of that is often going to be the case. It's just like, which party is in there just kind of determines which direction the corruption is going to go. But this has been in, in the buildup to this election and with everything that's going on with the, with the pandemic 
and with the the specific type of candidate that Trump is, this election is very unique in that sense, where this is not Democrats versus Republicans. This is Trump versus the entire global governance structure, in essence. And that global governance structure, in theory, they have the power to just enforce their will on everyone. But that's messy. That's difficult. So it's 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 generally better for them to try to go through the electoral process um, so that there is the impression of choice and that there's the impression of freedom because then, because people, people who are being enslaved, same reason why they couldn't just kill Trump. Right. Exactly. If they kill Donald Trump, it's, it's, I mean, this country would just be complete chaos. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a, like a, a matrix revealing moment. That's when everything becomes clear to people. They realize that all of the all the conspiracy theories about the the smoke-filled rooms with the the guys in suits like all of those are actually true. So it's not they they of course if they wanted to kill Trump it would it would be so easy for them to do and they could do it at any point. But that would l- just leave them with a big mess on their hands. That would and it would make like people who are enslaved are much more difficult. People who are enslaved who know they are enslaved are much more difficult to manage than people who think they're free. So they need to maintain the appearance of a quote-unquote free and fair election to uh, maintain stability and um, coherence within society to a, to a degree that makes, that kind of keeps, like the, the, the people who are a stat, like, like, um, like global capital, they don't want mass uprisings and chaos and everything unless they control it. But they're getting to the point now where all of the narratives that they've built up to explain um, why their like why their power is legitimate, all of those narratives are starting to fall apart. And it really began, in large part, with Trump because of the way that he consistently pants the media. He his his willingness to not give a shit what people say about him, not care about bad press, and to actively embrace his flaws and be basically unblackmailable has broken the calculus for the media. It's, it's completely broken their brains and they don't know how to manage it. So the only thing they know how to do is just double and triple and quadruple and quintuple down on all the same strategies, even when it becomes completely inane to do so. So it's, it's really helped a lot of people see um, the, the code in the matrix, so to speak. And for that reason, all of the stories that, that you know, we tell ourselves that that the, the media tells us that the, our society kind of has built itself around. All of those stories are starting to fracture, and it's becoming more and more apparent that there is an established power structure that isn't accountable to anybody. That they kind of do what they want, and they they wield the media, and they wield all these other institutions to make to accomplish what they want while making it making it people feel like they have some control over the outcome. So, like I said before, the psychological impact of a second Trump election, of a Trump re-election, would have really cemented that. It would have made it so it wasn't like, hey, we have control of everything, and then something, it was kind of a little blip here, but we got back to normal. It would mean that there would be no getting back to normal. The Trump's power in a second term would be vastly more than it was in his first term. Because... Um, getting a winning election once is just kind of like, yeah, you know, that just happened. It was just a coincidence. Winning election twice is a clear mandate. And with a clear mandate like that, 
it would really narrow their range of what they're able to do. So now it's not that they can't just, it's not that eh, we can't just assassinate him. It's much more than that. We can't do a lot of different things to, to control and coach and, and, and corner him. And you can see then on the flip side that if Trump was to lose, if Biden was to win, clearly Biden is just an empty suit. Who's just, he's there to, as a, as a placeholder um, to 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 make it seem like this whole thing isn't a sham. It isn't a charade. And, and I think half the people who voted for him understand that. I do right. think there are Democrats who are hardcore Democrats who are imagining in their mind that he's, uh, you know, 1992 Joe Biden and is, you know still has energy and still is, you know, still with it. But I honestly think half half the people who voted for him, le- legitimately, fraud aside. I think they uh, they just just were strictly voting against Trump, and they do not care who's in there as long as it's right. not Trump. Yeah, and they they see they see Biden as a stand-in for the Democrat Party, and they like the Democrat mm-hmm. Party, so they're kind of like, okay, well, whoever it is, whoever it is, as long as it's not Trump. But if this is what I said going into it, so I recorded a a, a, a conversation with uh, Stephen Messina, who's a regular in all the different libertarian groups, and uh, he's been pestering me to start talking about this stuff publicly, and he finally. He finally twisted my arm. He coerced me into into having the conversation and to explain why I chose to vote for Trump. And I didn't vote for Trump thinking that that like my vote made a difference. I mostly just did it just so it would give me the opportunity to say I voted for Trump. Um, and also just because the guy cracks me up. Um, but I I said that that I think that the people who say that there's no difference between the two parties in this in this election are out of their minds. I think that it's very clear that it's not that Trump is is our savior or that Trump is going to make everything better or that you know, all bad stuff will end if Trump is elected. It's that Trump is bad and the opposition is unfathomably worse because to have like, if you most Liberty minded people at the very least, they want to see gridlock within government. They want to mm-hmm. see government at least handicapping itself and not able to get anything done. But what has happened over the last four plus years while Trump has been in office is basically ever every other major institution in the country has gotten on board the exact same agenda and the exact and and started operating according to the exact same marching instructions. So basically the only thing that they don't have at this point is the presidency. And the presidency has a lot more there's a lot more import to that office than a lot of people want to admit. They want to say oh it doesn't matter who's president. President just has kind of ceremonial power. He's not that, you know, whatever. He can't do what he wants, yada yada yada. But the president is the president if he wants to can control the narrative in the country. He can drive the narrative and he can he can uh he can shape conversations. This is why I think it's a very good thing. One of the, one of the good things with Trump is his open anti-war uh, rhetoric. Now, obviously, anti-war behavior would be even better. But Much better. if I don't have the option of anti-war behavior, and, and it's starting to look like he may have some of that as well, but if I don't have the option of anti-war behavior, that means I have the choice between anti-war rhetoric and pro-war rhetoric. So when given that choice, I'll take the anti-war rhetoric. And the fact that you have someone as significant as the president of the United States, sitting president of the United States, actively talking about, you know, how bad it is that we got into these wars, that we relied into these wars, that that we need to get out of there, we need to bring the troops home, yada, yada, yada. Even if they're empty words, they're still better than no words at all. 
So that's just an example of where I think the 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 president has the ability to 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 um, direct the conversation to some extent, and that's to me that's more valuable than not having a president there to direct the conversation in that way. So if they're able to install Biden and and in effect basically just regain control of the White House, it doesn't matter who controls the Senate. It doesn't matter who controls the House. If you at this point control the presidency and you control every major tech industry, every every major tech organization and you control the entire media, you, there is there is there are no holds on what you can accomplish and they will a year ago it would have been insane to suggest that we would get the the california governor instructing people how loud they're allowed to sing in their homes over the holidays but that's what we've got we've got people talking about national mask mandates we've got them talking about they they're not he's not even elected and he's actually talking about locking the country down for six weeks these this this is this is far beyond partisanship democrat versus republican this is like you would never see trump talk about something like that just because he knows his base would abandon him he at least has some sort of response to them because he is a finger in the eye to the establishment but with these guys with with with, with the potential of biden in office you're talking about just a complete reshaping of um, of the American governance structure and basically just formally subsuming the American government into the global government. Like that's what's at stake. So because they have that capacity, if Biden is in office, what incentive do they have to not do whatever's necessary to get him in? Especially knowing that, you know, they control the media and they'll be able to dictate the narrative of what happened. What they just did bargain is number one, social media lighting up like lighting on fire with like reporting and covering all of this that's been happening because the majority of it has happened has just been ordinary anonymous people online that are doing the like the data analysis and they also didn't didn't bargain on i think on trump digging in the way that he has i think they expected him to to fold under pressure and concede which again i don't know why they would have thought that because he's never given any indication that he's that type um but yeah so that's that's why I think that people trying to say that there's no chance of election fraud or whatever. Like, I think that there's a very, very clear formula for exactly why you should expect election fraud in this election. But what What's the most jarring piece, jarring evidence of election fraud that you've seen? I, I know for me personally, uh, when I saw the, and this is not, you know, evidence of fraud, but it's uh, showing, um, showing a trend in data that that is not natural, and that was watching Dr. Shiva's video, which I think I was I saw it two days ago um, on YouTube, but it's on Twitter as well. I'll, I'll link to it on the show notes page. And essentially, uh, he had two other people with him, so I don't know if he did. I don't think he did the analysis himself, but he was helping to uh, dissect it and, and go through it. But what they did is they, they looked at four counties in Michigan, and these were three Republican. Uh, counties in one uh, Democrat county. And in the three Republican counties, what they did is they looked at, you know, graphically um, plotting this by precincts. And uh, from the, uh, on the, on the X axis, you're looking at when you go from left to right, uh, the farther you go, the more Republican a district is. So the more that people are voting straight ticket 
Republican, that they're voting, you know, everyone in president, Congress, state Senate, all, all that stuff. Um, 20, 40, 60, 80 percent. So on the y-axis, what you have showing the difference between that and people voting uh, straight ticket or not straight ticket, voting individual for Trump. So maybe they're just voting for Trump or just voting for Biden, or maybe they're they're voting, uh, you know, Biden and voting Republican candidates, but it's not straight ticket. And the analysis showed that as areas got more Republican, as, you know, more straight ticket votes, as, as you go to the right on the graph, that Trump got less individual ticket votes. And it's not like, a, you know, like a, a shotgun scatter blast where oh, there's kind of a trend there. It is a distinct, it, it starts above the line. And then when you get to like 20%, maybe 25% showing that Trump's getting, um, this, this would be in the, in the more democratic areas, uh, more democratic precincts, Trump is getting more of the individual ticket votes. As soon as you get to 20%, it just goes down on a four, straight 45 degree angle and just tracks as you get more Republican straight ticket ballots, it, it goes straight down. And there's three counties exactly like that, all Republican, you know, more so Republican counties showing the precincts. And the one county, which I believe was Wayne County that they did, which was more, uh, it's, it's a, you know, a, a Democrat based county that the, Biden won the county. And it shows a totally different picture, which makes sense. But you have a huge grouping at the beginning um, showing more Democrat votes, but they're above the line showing that Trump, even in those Democrat counties, got more of the individual uh, ballot votes. And still, as you got more out, still above the line showing that they're, um, the Republican counties that uh, the Republican precincts in that county, excuse me, it's confusing to talk about without a picture. Um, <laughs> they showed that Trump still got, there was still a trend that as you got more Republican, more Republican precincts in that Democratic county, um, he got more of the individual votes. So, did, I mean, did you get a chance to watch that? I know we talked about that you... Yeah, I, I, I went back and watched it again just to, to, to refresh my memory on it because I watched it the other morning while I was in and out of sleep with uh, sitting there on the chair with the little man. Um, but yeah, it was it was so it's there's been multiple different analyses that are kind of along the same type of thing where you're not it, it, you're not just looking at the data itself, but you're looking at like the metadata, the data within the data. Mm -hmm. So in this particular case, it's the more Republican an area got, the basically the less. Trump was being voted for. And it's, and that, that in and of itself would be a little, a little suspicious. It's kind of like, well, that seems kind of funny. You wouldn't think that that would be the case, but it's the fact that it's this perfect line and that it's the exact same line, exact same trajectory in each of these counties. When, what that implies is that there is an algorithm that's being used mm -hmm. that uh, there, they have an algorithm that says, you know, it, it has some sort of rule that says, you know, in, in X region, when you know number of when the number of votes reaches x then start flipping votes at that at this rate and you know obviously they they went into it thinking that you know they figured out whatever the margins were going to be and they were like okay we need to flip this many votes to to ensure that that Biden stays in the lead so it's, it's interesting they did it in republican counties which you know might have been smart on their part because why would people look there why would you look right. in a in a county that trump won you people are directed you know to look at uh, where the you know the big cities, Detroit, 
and and where, and where those votes are coming from. And it makes a compelling narrative too, because you're able to say, "Oh, he lost the Republican Party. This was this was he lost the election because Republicans abandoned him." Mm-hmm. Um, so so not only does it does it make it easier to um, avoid detection, but it gives you a great narrative to operate from in the future that basically says. Um, not only did we get a mandate from our own party, but we got a mandate from Republicans as well. Republicans are on board with our narrative. Um, so, so that was one really compelling uh, data analysis uh, that was done. And then I, I think probably what's been most compelling to me is just the sheer volume of circumstantial evidence that it is. It, it, it's not that each individual point alone is super compelling, though. I think that one's probably the most compelling it's that all of them taken together, that there's so many different anomalies and these anomalies are all concentrated to the same swing states. You're not seeing weird anomalies in, you know, Kansas or Montana or, you know, Mississippi. There's no weird part, anomalies part that there. could be, um, no one's looking there. I mean, just to play devil's advocate. Right. But then, but there's, so then now, isn't there, a, isn't there a distinct incentive for someone to go look? If there was if there was no fraud, then you would think that they would be like, well, here, here's counter evidence. See, True. this isn't it isn't that there's fraud just in this area. There's fraud in all these other places as well. You guys do it too. This is what Scott Adams he called it the dog that that didn't bark. There isn't you're not seeing a counter or a rebuttal to any of this analysis. It's people are just saying either it doesn't exist or it didn't have an impact. You're you're watching the narrative develop as well, where it goes from um, there was no election fraud to. Um, there was some, but not very much to, um, well, there was, but it wasn't widespread to, well, it was widespread, but it would, it didn't, it wasn't enough to, to make a difference. And the fact that it isn't widespread doesn't make it, is that that's not what's being alleged. What's being alleged is specifically that it was targeted. Right. It was just in these specific areas. Um, another really interesting point is that they have, um, this is again, anecdotal or circumstantial, but, um, you know, it's just, you keep checking off this list of circumstantial points. Um, you have the what's called bellwether cities, which is the cities that uh, always predict the 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 winner of the election. So in every election going back 60 plus years, you see these specific cities almost as a rule, whoever that city votes for is the candidate that winds up winning. And so, you know, in 2016, they voted for Trump and 2012, they voted for Obama in 2008. They voted for Obama, et cetera, all the way back. Uh, of those, it was, oh, no, I, I don't remember the exact number, but it's, there was a specific graphic that someone tweeted out where they, they showed the, the, um, the record of these cities throughout ever since 1960. And it's like on average, one or two of those cities would, would, uh, you know, get it wrong on a, in a given year. And this year it was of a list of, I think like 20 of them, maybe three of them, uh, voted for Biden. The rest of them all voted for Trump. So what you're what the 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 narrative here then would have to be that um you know somehow somehow Biden to win, he didn't he didn't win over these these um specific swing regions. He won elsewhere somehow. Yet then he lost like two hundred thousand votes off of Hillary's total in New York, in New York City. And in Miami and some of these other major Chicago too, I think some of these other major blue cities turnout for Biden was way down, but he got um, the most votes of any presidential candidate right. of all time. Right. That's the, all of these things just don't, it doesn't make sense that you would have uh, all of these 
bizarre anomalies that don't add up. You know, he you know, Trump increases his vote total by he's an incumbent president who gets nine plus million more votes than he did in the prior election. And yet he loses by a by a wide margin while all of the bellwether cities all voted for him and somehow you know they they're anomalously wrong. And then there's all of these bizarre cases of 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 um uh, of of uh, anecdotal weird things where the the data just doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. It looks weird. Um, in specific, but just in the swing states where it made the biggest difference. And they're just you know these super narrow margins. Oh, and all of this happened after a a, a unprecedented uh, pause, coordinated pause in all of these swing states before which Trump was hundreds of thousands of votes in the lead and after which suddenly the 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 the, the um uh, composition of the votes that came in just completely changed because that was another what's, point what's the speculation on, on what the pause is or is it different in, in different areas um i don't think that they've ever given a reason for it like a like an official reason for the pause um no, I, I mean, I mean from, from like a from like a fraud standpoint is that when they're thinking that you know votes oh. were brought in or there, so there are reports of there's multiple different people who have signed affidavit affidavits claiming that they saw trucks pull up and bags of ballots be brought into the counting areas and like taken into a back room where they were counted. Um, and then there's also so there was one particular case that was interesting. I think this is in Milwaukee. The I don't know what what her role was. It was, it was the county clerk or whatever. Um, her job was to take the thumb drive. Um, with the vote totals from the one area into the the office where they had to be reported or, or whatever she had to, she was, she was responsible for transporting it. Mm-hmm. And that was at like three in the morning, their yeah. time. And she lost the thumb drive. She right. had it. It was out of her possession for a period of time. And reportedly she was freaking out about it. And then one of the way the story was reported, one of her aides walked up and said, Hey, here it is. And she took it and she went and turned it in. And right after that was when that huge 100% in favor of Biden chunk was added to the Wisconsin total. So that was right in the middle of that pause. Because what's interesting is they didn't just pause. They said they were going to pause, but they kept counting in secret. Because that was right about the same time that they were starting to throw people out of the, out of the, the, the counting rooms. Uh, this this whole it, yeah, there's just so many different <laughs> stories, so much different evidence. I, I mean, we could we could talk all night. I don't want to take don't want to take too much time from you, but uh, I, I guess to kind of wrap this up, how do you see this playing out in the next? I mean, I guess we have to have some sort of resolution by we the time we get into early December. That's when they have to you know send their electors to actually officially select the president, or I guess they have to certify by the beginning like the first week of December, I think. So what do you think is going to happen? I think that I have, I'll I'll tell you my, just kind of my gut, my intuition kind of, my intuition says that we're going to know by like, it's going to be accepted that Trump won. I believe by around the end of the month. That's just kind of my, that's kind of my gut. And I think that the way that it's going to go is that there's going to be documented, um, unquestionable proof that there was massive widespread orchestrated voter fraud 
uh, and that they 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 hit it across a bunch of different. There was a bunch of different methods that they used. It was like a scattershot method. It was a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. So there was, um, you know, like uh, casting votes for dead people and uh, throwing out uh, votes for Trump and um, you know all the different techniques. I think that there was a sampling of all of that that was used and. I think the reason that they were that there was the the whole sample of it was because um I think that there was a coordinated effort on the behalf of um like actual intelligence agencies like actual deep state actors I think um I think that we're going to be hearing a lot more about um Dominion voting systems and the uh it's it's funny. I just found out this morning. So the the guy who's in responsible for the strategy and security of Dominion voting systems, his name is literally Doctor Coomer, and he is an anti he he's a like an Antifa TDS guy. Really? He's, yeah. Um. Wow. And he they're, holds they're in Canada, right? They're based out of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. And he holds a uh, um a bunch of different patents related to Dominion. Like so, people are starting to dig into Dominion now, and. Uh, and there's, I sent you that article just before we went live. So you probably, you could throw that in your, your show notes, but it, it, it is a pretty good breakdown of kind of what's happened with it. The, the Dominion voting system is, uh, the, the system that was used in, uh, Michigan and in Georgia, where it's already been proven that there was a quote unquote glitch that resulted in, um, a straight segment of votes being flip-flopped. It was like 6,000 votes, I think right, in Michigan. Right. Um, that were tallied in favor of of Biden and something didn't add up. So they did a hand recount and realized that it was just a straight switch of those 6,000 from Trump to Biden. So they switched them back and it, and it flipped the, um, the results of a, of a, of a, of a area there. Um, so they, the media has uh, claimed on that. Who knows if it's true or not? Probably not. They've claimed that was a clerical error and not, right, it was not a software right. error. But. Right. Yeah. And so it, it happened there and it happened in Georgia as well. And the other, th- here's another interesting thing before I, before I get back to my, my prediction, uh, they, this software program did a major update the night before the election. And, um, I've heard from multiple different people who are, are, uh, you, the, like the professionals who would be involved with managing software systems like this. And they said that there is no way on God's green earth, you would do an update, a system wide update the night before a major election like that. There's, it's, there's it's, no way. It's, it's insanity. I mean, I'm right. not intimately involved in software, but just from a, you know, a peripheral view, um, without testing software, that is, it's insane to do something it's like preposterous. that. Preposterous. Unless, unless the purpose of this update is to, you know, I don't know, like, 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 like uh, insert a specific program that's going to be used in a specific way. Um, so, it turns out that this this uh, system, this software system, Dominion, or not software system, but the hardware system, the voting voting system, uh, Dominion uh, voting systems, is has already had widely been widely um, associated with fraud or the potential for fraud. That um, you know, it's like it's not supposed to be connected to the to the internet, but in areas it is. And there's been prior to this, there's been lots of of, of lawsuits associated with it, and Texas specifically. Um, uh, a banned use of, uh, of it within the state because it was too unreliable. And um, it's got direct connections to the Clinton Foundation and to Nancy Pelosi, um, and apparently also to Mitch McConnell. Um, and then... Does Hunter Biden have an investment? Is that- <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Let's just hit hit, hit the, the bingo with all the oh, words. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, 
So it's, uh, it's also been apparently, as I was reading through here, it's also had been associated, I think, connected in some way with um, with screwy elections in the Philippines and in Venezuela as well. So it seems like we've scratched the surface of something kind of crazy here. And um, so, yeah, so this this uh, uh, voting system has been used in 30 different states um, and it happens to be like all the swing states. They all use it. So at this point, to me, given like the, the the data with Dr. Shiva and with all these other data points, it seems obvious to me that um, there was a concerted effort. There was an actually orchestrated effort to um, use some type of a computer program and use an algorithm to straight switch votes between Trump and Biden and potentially at the at the the um uh, House and Senate um, election level as well. I think that there was this, there was a, a degree of that. Um, but then I think also the reason for the pause was that Trump had came in with a larger lead than they expected and the algorithm wasn't going to cover it. And so mm. for that reason, they had to, in these specific cities, they had to pause to give people time to get these extra ballots, get all these fraudulent ballots and bring them in and run them through the system. And they had to get people, they had to get the, the poll watchers out to be able to do this. And they had to do all the different things they needed to, to accomplish that. So I think that there was a mad scramble to do that. And so they, they, created a bunch of, of fraud scenarios. And those are the first ones that people uncovered. But I think that the actual nail in the coffin is going to be the evidence of this voting system being used. And now you're going to see a direct showdown between Trump and the people who have the power to do something like that, which is going to be the most powerful people in the country and, and maybe even in the world. At this point, I don't think anything's off the table. I think people need to be fully prepared for some really dramatic uh, events because of the stakes of what went on here and the desperation with which these people acted and uh, how much they revealed themselves because they thought that they had a they had a, a um, you know a flawless case. They thought that there was no way that this was going to happen. That no, there was no way that things were going to work out this way, and things are starting to unravel on them. And um, so that's why I, I posted what I did uh, the other day about how I think in hindsight, we're going to look back. We're going to see that 2020 was a year of transition and 2021 was the first year of a new era. Because I think that at this point, um, you're never going to be able to hold an election in the United States again. There's never going to be a not a not a national level election, not like this, not the same way. Something is going to have to change dramatically because one side or the other is not going to have any trust in it. And, and not just in the past, not the way that people have in the past where they're just kind of like, yeah, you know, my vote probably doesn't count or there's probably some fraud or whatever. Like this is, this is a, a, like we've crossed a Rubicon. There's no going back. And the fact that, that the people who are um, out to get Trump, the fact that they have gotten to this level in their, what they're willing to do to get him out is I believe going to necessitate some pretty dramatic action in response to them. And I think that we're, no matter what happens, whether even if, even if Trump was, if something was to flip and, and, and you know, this wasn't to work out and Trump was to wind up losing. I think that what you're, I, I predicted a, a, a week ago, like the night after the election that we're going to see the odds are very great that we will see a presidential candidate arrested in the next couple of months. And wow. I, I feel even more confident about that. It's going to be one or the other. And I, because I think that's the stakes that we've gotten to. That's the level 
that we've gotten to. And I think that no matter what happens going forward, the entire structure of the United States government is going to be different. There's the, I think the, the empire is we're going to look back and realize that the empire formally ended, formally ended in 2020. On November 3rd on election right. night. Right. Right. Yep. And yep. whoever does win this election, if maybe nobody will win this election, who knows? Um, would maybe be the last president, which is yep. pr- pretty amazing to think about. Yeah, there was another a poll that I did uh, a couple of days before, and I didn't even I didn't even realize it when I did it. I I just threw a little quick poll on my Facebook page. I said, uh, um, "What are the odds that this is the last um, the last presidential election in America?" And uh, the overwhelming majority of the results were zero percent to twenty five percent. But there was. There was a, there was a few seventy five to hundred and 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 at the time when I did it I probably would have guessed fifty to seventy five percent I wasn't fully convinced that that things were going to go but I think that I think we're getting a people have anticipated that there was going to be a slow kind of dissolution of the empire and things were going to kind of fall apart but I think that I think that the stakes have gotten too high and um, I think whoever whoever winds up taking office will be the president or will, or whoever stands in for them will be the president for much longer than four years. That would be my prediction. Another thing that comes to mind, um, and I don't want to go in another rant here or, or start one, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if, if Trump, who is like, we, we talked about, he's not a, you know, hundred percent Liberty candidate. He's not Ron Paul. He's not Rand Paul. He's not even Justin Amash. He's, you know, he's, he's not, He's not going to free us all and end the income tax and uh, and end all the wars. Although he might, you know, de-escalate some of that. But even if he got this much of a reaction from the deep state, uh, from those who want to cling to the power, there's no way in heck libertarians are ever going to get any sort of power in this country. Nope. Um, so th- that aspect, that honestly has me thinking about changing my approach on how going forward, how I advocate for liberty how I, uh, you know, try to advance liberty forward because I think we have to change our approach. Yep. I think we have to change our approach and we have to change our, I think we have to change our goal. I think we have to reconsider what a, like what, what maximizing liberty from a government perspective. I think we have to change um, what we, what we think that means. I mean, I, I came into this as, uh, you know, came into this year as a, as an ANCAP and I still believe that the ANCAP vision of an ideal future or an ideal society, I think is, is, I, I still believe in that. I just think that I, I realize that that's a, that's a destination. It's not a, a means of getting to that destination. Uh, and, and yeah, this, like you said, this is, this is, this could lead into a, a big, long rant that could go a long ways. That's a totally different conversation. Yeah, but I think that, I think that, uh, to achieve a libertarian society, I, I think that achieving a libertarian society is not possible with a libertarian government. Let me just put it that way. I think that a, a, a libertarian, a, a society that would be a libertarian society would not need a libertarian party. So for that reason, uh, to to get to that point is going to take approaches that don't necessarily correspond to uh, the type of of thing that most libertarians would be comfortable with. But that's I think that's yeah just the nature of of uh, 
the way that humans arrange themselves uh, collectively. And so I think that that's kind of, that's what I'm going to start my, I'm going to be starting a podcast here, a right, YouTube yeah. channel, whatever you want to call it. That's, and that's kind of the subject that I want to explore is, um, you know, how, how you get to, um, you know, how, how libertarians should be acting, um, when it comes to, um, their society, their culture, um, what sort of government structure or lack thereof, but I, I, sh- I kind of showing my hand a little bit. What sort of government structure uh, would create the most libertarian outcomes? Um, and I think that it's a little counterintuitive, um, but I think that's a pretty interesting conversation. And I think that it, I think there's a lot to be a lot for for libertarians to learn about how you know how how should we then live would be the 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 phrase like how how should we then live? How should we behave? Um, how should we be interacting with our communities? What should we be, what what should we be focusing our efforts on? If uh, I think that focusing your efforts on trying to abolish the state is tilting at windmills and um, is, in fact, a really bad way to wind up with a libertarian society. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of self-reflection to uh, to go through with this massive change we're going to see. I, I mean, I tend to agree with you that we're, we're on the verge of a huge transformation. But uh, before I let you go, and wanna, first, I want to thank you for being so gracious with your time. We went for. Uh, an hour and 20 minutes. I wasn't planning on that, but I mean, hopefully people enjoy this because uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. So before you go, can you, you know, plug uh, your, your Twitter, your, um, I don't know if, if you have a new podcast name or website or, or any of that stuff. We haven't completely come up with what we're going to, what we're going to call the podcast yet. We have an idea, but um, I'm not totally positive yet. So for now uh, you can just follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is I, uh, at I tweet stuff here and I, uh, you can uh, you can also follow the the show with Jason and I do wealth power and influence with Jason Stapleton. Uh, you can look for that on on Facebook or on uh, or on YouTube, um, and then just keep an eye out. Uh, I'll be I have a YouTube channel. If you go search, I don't know if you could find it just searching for Matthew Erickson, um, or if you just go look through my Twitter handle, you'll you, my Twitter account, you'll find links to it. Um, and just keep an eye out for for the new podcast that'll be dropping here within the next few weeks to a couple months. All right, good deal. Thanks for your time, Matt. Thanks, John. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Felony Friday, another awesome episode. Just want to remind everyone, before you get going here, after your next uh, next podcast or your shuffle or whatever it is you're doing with your, uh, your day today, I want to thank you for giving me your time and uh, listening to this interview. I want to ask you, please to share this with a friend. The only way that we're going to expand this message that we're going to reform this criminal justice system is by sharing interviews just like this with your network. Very easy to do. And I also want to ask you to please, if you have not yet checked it out, you need to go to the Lions of Liberty store. It's lionsofliberty.store. We have a bunch of new t-shirt designs, really interesting stuff, really eye-catching designs. Uh, Of course, our taxation is death shirt has been a hit. It's selling like crazy. We now have the uh, the tax on wax off shirt, just awesome. And and there's more coming. We're really trying to get into uh, what we're calling it the Lions of Liberty brand of shirts. So you're going to get the cool design on the front and then up just real small up by the tag on the back. You're going to have our Are You Ready to Roar logo. Uh, We're trying to, you know, take another angle here and influence people through, uh, you know, some snazzy t-shirts. So check it out, lionsofliberty.store. And remember, if you're in the Lions of Liberty pride, you get 20% off. So for as little as five bucks a month, you're going to get 20% off all your t-shirt orders. So 
To join the pride, go to patreon.com slash lions of liberty. And with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Have a great weekend or week or whenever you're listening to this. Just have an awesome day. I'll talk to you next week. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire is a liberty burning.